Congress intending to shame, embarrass, and destroy the businesses of published the tax returns from a former president. In those documents are not only sensitive financial details, but the names of business allies, clients, vendors, who themselves are now subject to harassment by the radical left. If it can happen to a former president, it can happen to you. What do we do? We win at the ballot box, that's what we do. But that takes drive, and it takes a clear, focused eye on the truth. It takes TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. Boy, he got a little uh, into it today this morning, did Pete Moss. Good morning, everybody. For those of you that don't know, Pete Moss is a, um, a national voice. You'll hear him occasionally on some national television radio advertisements. He worked in Little Old Shreveport, Louisiana at Kiel Radio many, 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 many years ago when I was there many, 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 many years ago. And uh, he's got quite the pipes. He's got a studio in Chicago. And that's what he does. And he does everything that you hear at TNN Live. Pete Moss does it, and he won't let me pay him. It's just part of his commitment to the Truth News Network. And so I appreciate that. Appreciate Pete. Good to have him. Good to have you this morning. And it's also good because we have a guest in studio today. You may not know him. Uh, Steve Baker is here live in the studio with us once again. Hello there. Good morning. Two weeks in a row. Yeah, that's unbelievable. So you were going and coming. You're headed back to Carolina Uh, now, right? I'm going to head to D.C. probably straight from here. Okay. I was going to leave today, but this rain, nah, I'm going to gonna wait this out. Well, if you hang around a little while after the show, it just so happens I know where there's another one of those cinnamon rolls. <laughs> He's got a plate with a warm cinnamon roll, homemade cinnamon roll on it. Yes. Let me ask you this. Is it good? Well, you sent me home with an entire pan yes. last week. Yes. I didn't, uh, 24 hours maybe? Wow. <laughs> Lasted. Well, I, I could say something ugly and fuss at you about that, but I really can't because I've done that before. I've actually got to get out of Louisiana right now because <laughs> if I don't leave today or tomorrow, I will be 300 pounds <laughs> very soon. Marianne is the uh, greatest cook I've ever known. Of course, she got it from her mother, and as many of you know, her mother passed away January 1st, but she left a legacy, and that's just one of them. One of them. It's phenomenal. Marianne's noodles, homemade noodles, chicken and noodles, to die for. Wow. And it's it's comfort food, as mm-hmm. is that. That yeah. just makes you feel a little better this morning. Absolutely, especially on a morning like today. And so we have a new feature here that we do at the top of every show every day. We play a good song. A good song. And it gives people that are a little slow getting logged in, it gives them a chance to get in without missing anything. Plus... It gives me the chance to listen to some good music that I like. After all, this is my show. (laughs) Just thought I'd remind you of that. Uh, About five or six years ago, I spent a considerable amount of time, more than I ever thought I would, in business in Europe and Asia. And I'm a homeboy. I love to be at home. I love to be with my family. And we have our family here. We have six grandkids, our two daughters, our son and his wife are the only ones that live away there in Fort Worth, uh, Fort Worth, no kids. 
but we're about three miles away from all six grandkids. So mm-hmm. we are blessed. And when I was overseas, I missed everybody. I mean, all my family. That was number one. And I couldn't wait to get back. And so our buddy from Canada felt the same way. Michael Bublé. Another summer day has come and gone away From Paris to Rome, but I want to go home Maybe surrounded by a million people I still feel all alone Just want to go home Oh, I miss you, you know And I've been keeping all the letters that I wrote to you Each one in line or two I'm fine, baby, how are you? I would send them, but I know that it's just not enough My words were cold and flat And you deserve more than that Another airplane, another sunny place I'm lucky, I know, but I want to go home I got to go home Let me go home I'm just too far from where you are I wanna come home Someone else's life It's like I just stepped outside When everything was going right And I know just why you could not come along with me This was not your dream But you always believed in me Another winter day has come and gone away In either Paris or Rome And I wanna go home Let me go home And I'm surrounded by a million people I still feel alone Let me go home Oh, I miss you, you know Let me go home That's a good part of it, coming back home. Being away, that's a lot of fun. When I went to Europe, I spent a lot of time in Zurich. Uh, What a great city. I mean, it is one of the most expensive cities in the world in which to live. Clean, big, 
lots of stuff to do. And did you know that there is no official language in Switzerland? Not an official, but it's a hodgepodge of Boy, is it every we've got English, German, Italian, French. French. And then there's a kind of a native language. They don't even call it a language up in the, yeah. some of the hills in the mountain they speak it. I, uh, I have a lawyer over there that handles our international stuff, a female. She's one of five certified financial attorneys in Switzerland. She was married to the son of the Italian ambassador to Sweden. <laughs> now, what about a hodgepodge? Yeah. And it was interesting to me, German is her native language, and she speaks four languages which just blows my mind. And everybody over there seems to speak at least two or three. What's interesting, you go to Burger King, go to Burger King, you go up to the counter, there'll be somebody that can't speak English. And I'll say, point to somebody else because, you know, I'm telling them what I want. And they didn't speak English. So the manager comes out and I ask him, and he explained that there are people that uh, just don't get exposed to English. They never get into American music or English music, so they just stick with the German and French. It's interesting. Yeah. I said all that to say this. After about a week, I was ready to come home. (laughs) Man, I'm a homeboy. I'm a Louisiana boy. You are too. And you get to, you've seen your mom now twice in the last week or so. That's very unusual because you're on the road pretty much all the time. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, a lover of the road, having been uh, as a touring musician young, I was on the road full time when I was nineteen years old, and then into Europe and traveling all over Europe and going. You know, we would literally eat breakfast in Sweden, uh, have lunch in Denmark, and dinner in Germany. We were on the road all the time, and I fell in love with that. It's been a part of my life most of my life, and I. To this day, I prefer not to fly. I prefer to drive everywhere I go. And if, in fact, I have a uh, saying that if I can drive it in a day, I, I won't fly. But the reality is I'll just leave two or three days early and just drive. doesn't matter how far it is. I call it windshield therapy. Yeah. It's the most comforting time for me. I think better. I can go into a zone and a thousand miles later, I'm where I'm supposed to be and don't know how I got there. Well, we had buses. Marianne and I have had three Prevost buses. Mm. And, uh, boy, was it good to get on those things and go. Because when you get there, you've mm-hmm. got a Four Seasons tile bedroom that your own stuff's in. Right. And she even would drive that thing 45 wow. feet, only on the interstate. But we love to go. We're, we're travelers yeah. like that, too. Yeah. Um, for many years in business, I flew everywhere. And I, you know, almost all 50 states doing business, but I would fly over all these states. (laughs) And two things happened. I got into Harleys and I got on a Harley and I decided I was going to ride. And for instance, we had a convention in Salt Lake City. So Marianne flew with our staff. They all flew up there and I went on a Harley and left five days early. And I went through all of everything between here and there. And I've seen things that I've flown over for years, never saw. Yeah. But having that bus, that was the same kind of thing. You go where you're going and you stay, but you get to see everything right. when you're behind the wheel. So you did, you did what, uh, were you inspired by, 
by Neil Peart from the drummer, late drummer for Rush. Yes. Because that's what he did. That's what he did. You're right. He would uh, abandon the bus life. Yeah. And even their private jet. Yes. And instead, he would roll on his motorcycle to wherever they were going. And he would show up at the arena at the next show, but he would show up driving down into the guts of that big arena uh, on his on his motorcycle. Um, one Easter Sunday afternoon, me and two buddies, we left Shreveport, Shreveport, Louisiana, on our Harleys, and we rode to Savannah, Georgia, and then went to the beach and got pictures taken of us standing in the water on the beach in San Francisco, uh, excuse me, Savannah drinking a glass of wine, and then we jumped back on our Harleys and rode to San Francisco. Oh, my goodness. And south of San Francisco, Big Sur, right. we got another picture taken. <laughs> and so then we rode home. 14 days, wow. 7,300 miles. Wow. And another one I, w- I did for 14 years, I did the color on the Louisiana Tech Football Network. Uh-huh. And many times, I didn't want to fly on the team charter. For instance, I, I, uh, I jumped on my Harley on Thursday afternoon, and I took off riding to Toledo, where Tech was playing on Saturday night. And uh, I got there, took my time getting there. It's not really beautiful so much between here and Toledo, Ohio. But then we had an emergency air evacuation convention that started the day after that in Nashville. And so I rode from uh, Toledo to Nashville, which is a whole lot prettier. And Marianne, she's been on behind my behind me on one of our Harleys uh, going across the nation. We left Kansas City one time. It was 14 degrees. Of course, we had heated gear and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. We drove from Kansas City across 70 to the end of 70 out there north of Vegas, went south through Vegas, Barstow, California, and then we rode up to the central part of California on 99. That's where 95% of all the vegetables that are sold in the United Mm -hmm. States are grown along Highway 99 in California. And uh, did a tech football game while I was on that trip. (laughs) in uh, San Jose, and then we went up across um, northeastern, I guess. I don't think it's northeastern, eastern California. Uh, We went up there and hit, oh, goodness, I can't, uh, 80, Highway 80, uh, north of, uh, what's the big town in in, uh, northwest California? Northwest? Northwest Nevada, I'm sorry. Oh, uh, Reno. Reno. I could we got on 80 there and right. drove across 80 and then cut up and went to Boise, yeah. Idaho, and Louisiana Tech was playing a game there. <laughs> so we shipped the Harley home, did the game, and flew back with the team. Oh, wow. So I've got a lot of uh, yeah. windshield time. Well, I would encourage everyone, when you're making a trip, take that extra day on either the front side or the back side and tell your GPS to not allow you to get on an interstate highway. <laughs> you it don't is, get you don't get to see a lot. No, it, it's it will take you 50 75% longer to get wherever you're going depending you know depending upon the the distance. But the point being is is that you will see the parts of America that you're missing on those interstates where it's all the same thing, same truck stops, 
same uh, gas stations, same convenience stores at every exit. Uh, you see the trash, you see the filth on the interstate. But when you get off of that highway and you just take the back roads and allow the, and just, I do, and that's exactly what I do. I tell my GPS, no interstates allowed. And I've done trips over a thousand miles that way. And it real it can almost double your your travel time by doing that, but it's it's worth every mile. We live in America. Yeah, I I've flown over it. Many of you that don't have the chance to go on the ground, you've flown over a lot. I promise you, it's way way different at uh, elevation ground level. It's yeah. much more beautiful than I ever thought it was. Well, Steve O. Before we get into the latest, latest, got a few things that I want to talk about. One thing that just really bugged me, and um, I really did a lot of research on this, this COVID-19 vaccine adverse reactions thing. Mm. So what's the truth about COVID vaccines and resulting tremors? It's happening a lot. Tremors coming with COVID-19. Viral videos of people violently shaking. When they're shown on the popular social websites, they are shot down by the experts who say they could be staged or the results of emotional distress, but they're saying absolutely no connection with COVID vaccines. Experts cast doubts over the authenticity of a series of these videos that claim to show patients who are violently shaking after a reaction to one of the three COVID vaccines we have here. In one of the more shopping, uh, shocking clips, and we played this earlier in the year, an elderly female patient struggles to walk from the bathroom to her hospital bed, tremors. The video was shared more than 26,000 times, viewed by 11 million people on Twitter. Twitter, that's before they pulled it down. Mm -hmm. You can imagine how many more are seeing it now. Other videos show patients convulsing and struggling to move. But experts say even though they cannot prove all the videos are fake, the shaking is not characteristic, their word, characteristic of the seizures that patients claim to be suffering. In other words, what they're saying, oh, we've never seen this before, but it can't have any attachment to, you know, right. a vaccine. It's been suggested the shakes may be the effect of fears over getting the vaccine. <laughs> yeah, I'm not crazy about getting shots. You know, I've gotten accustomed. Yeah, when you become an old man, it's not a big a deal. Um, but I'm not that afraid where I'm going to have tremors. They added that the videos are a reminder of the dangerous wave, here it comes, of anti-vaccine sentiment in the U.S., which has been blamed for a dip in vital childhood inoculations. A lot wow. of parents are they're thinking twice about this. 26 million American kids skipped, mom and dad did, the measles vaccinations mm -hmm. just because they're uncertain about it. There's too much unknown and they've watched all of this insanity coming from the experts that things are just not quite adding up. I have been on the record 
with this statement for well over two years now. Now, be careful. Be careful. You're being recorded. (laughs) (laughs) Look, when you and I are together, we're being recorded. We're being watched. We're being listened to, monitored. We've got the satellite hovering and the drones hovering over your house. Everybody, if they want to know what we're saying, they can easily find it. That's right. If you are the parent of anyone under 18 years of age and you're getting or forcing upon or you think that it's even a viable option that that your child will be safer taking that shot or somehow at less risk from COVID if they take that shot, I just want to leave you with this one stop one stat and you can verify this on the CDC website itself. Your child is more at risk in riding in the back seat of your car to and from school every day on a per annum basis than they are from any of the COVID variants. That being the case, why would you put an experimental toxin into your child's body. You know what I've struggled with is reconciling this happening like it's happening. And I've got 30 plus years in the healthcare industry. I deal every day still now. I deal every day with doctors from pretty much every practice. Um, No, I don't do any uh, any work for transgender surgery doctors. (laughs) But other than that, pretty much every practice you can think of. And the whole atmosphere the last two and a half, three years has changed. Why has it changed? Well, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Uh, I theorize a lot. I do a lot of research, as do you. This is the business we're in. And um, early on, this was when COVID began in the first half, actually the end of January in 2020. This is before King Fauci was crowned. Mm -hmm. But we interviewed here, Dr. Judy Mikovits. I've got the, and you can get it online um, on our podcast site. Dr. Judy Mikovits was Fauci's partner back in the the 90s when they developed the uh, the vaccine for AIDS that did not work. In fact, it killed a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And she fought against against Fauci when that was going on. They had some back and forth issues. And uh, he, he demanded that she turn over some private research paper materials that she was going to publish. And with those things in that business... There's a lot of money that comes along with that. Fauci demanded that she give it to him. She refused. He had her in the middle of the night. The guns, the big black armored vehicle came to her house, took her out of the house. Nobody was identified, no identity on any of the guys that came in. They ransacked their house, took her out, took her to a place unknown and put her behind bars. She was behind bars for three weeks, no conversation with her husband, no outside phone calls, no charges filed against her. She had no clue. To this day, 
she has no clue who those people were, other than that they came at Fauci's demand. And to get out of that and get back to life that she knew it, she had to plea to certain circumstances and things that she wouldn't do. And, of course, that material was turned over to Dr. Fauci. Um, so you're telling me the NIH has its own black ops SWAT team? Either that or they have a phone number. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they know how to find somebody. And they have a stash house with bars and cells to keep somebody in. That should scare you to death if nothing else Well, I, I will tell you that I have seen with my own eyes and captured on my own camera federal SWAT units with no insignias on them. So they do exist. Uh, and for whatever reason, they don't want us to know which uh, agency that they're working for. Oh, they're just big brother. Yeah. You you know, Orwell got it, it right. It doesn't big, matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. What kind of label you put. Anyway, in May of COVID year, was that my phone going on? Oops. No. That's mine vibrating on your desk. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, back to business. Um, oh, what I was telling you, in May, she went on the record and about 15 of the things that Fauci had never said, she predicted how the process was going to play out, mm. including masking, lockdowns, pushing for a vaccine, no need for a vaccine, lockdowns were going to be done to test the American population to see how much of our liberties we were going to give up to the government using fear of a pandemic, and that that had been on the table for more than a decade under discussions by everybody at the CDC and throw Mr. Gates in the middle of that that all of this, she predicted this before any of it happened. Um, you know, and, you know what made me angry this week, Dan? I, I just, I got so mad. Somebody sent me a video from 2009, and it was our friend Alex Jones. Oh and, my gosh! And Jesse Ventura having a discussion about viruses. And vaccines. Now, just to set the stage so that everyone understands, I am the most anti-conspiracy theory guy you will ever meet. So why did Alex Jones, did he send it to no, you or no, someone else No, no, did? no. Somebody else sent okay. me this thing. I was going to say. And, uh, and I, somebody sent me this. And so whenever I watch an Alex Jones video, it's generally for comedy relief, okay? I'm just being, I'm just being honest. And having said that, the, when he was deplatformed from everywhere, yeah. I was totally against that. Same here. Absolutely. I would I would ride to his defense, and I will stand on the front lines with a guy that I disagree with 99% of the time because his speech was being... Um, um, his First Amendment being abridged. Completely. I mean, yeah. he was, he was yeah. completely deplatformed across everything. And so with that said, they sent me this video, and it's the two... Most you know, two of the most bizarre characters that we have in our you know, our you know, culture today, Alex Jones and Jesse Ventura, Jesse the Body Ventura, 
And they're discussing in 2009, they're standing outside too. I don't know where the interview was taking place, but they're batting back and forth these conspiracies about um, a a virus being unleashed, grown in Chinese labs, uh, the the resultant emergency vaccine orders that would happen, the fact that they would be mandated for us to travel, for us to go out, uh, for us to do anything to, to, to visit our families, all of it. And I'm sitting here watching this and I'm just going, Dad, come it. How did they get it right 13 years ago? And I wish we had known it 13 years ago and we would have talked about it. And maybe I've got people in my family, my extended family, um, that are, I mean, they're, they vaccinated their babies. I mean, four and five years old because they were told by the mainstream folks that was what needed to be done. And I hope that the most extreme of the, um, well, I, 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 st- I can't go there anymore. As, we, as we've learned, uh, a conspiracy theory now is just, you know, six months away from being proved. <laughs> it's, not, it's not years. Yeah. It, In a few months, we're it, seeing it play out exactly opposite it, of what we were exactly. told six months ago. But it scares me to death when I hear stories like that. And I hope it's not true within your family and within everybody else's family of those young children who have taken these vaccines because we don't know what the long-term consequences are going to be, especially for somebody that young with this this apparent reorganization almost you know down to the genetic level of various vital um, signals that our genes send to us so that we develop properly. Now, maybe, because when this vaccine came out, I I was an advocate to the extent that I felt like that if you were in one of the at-risk groups, and only ever if you were one of the at-risk groups, particularly elderly and at-risk, then I said, yeah, you know, there's no, there's really statistically no reason for you not to go there. But I did... (laughs) <laughs> further research at all of the age groups, at all of the uh, lower at-risk uh, categories. And and I realized very soon that there was a point somewhere around 60 years old, maybe even a little higher, around 65, that you were more likely to be at risk from this vaccine than you are uh, were from that, that virus. And so I, I, did a, I, I did a hard turn on it. And now I'm not even so sure about some of the at-risk groups. Well, it's interesting to me that uh, I, I too, get sent a lot of stuff. I got, uh, I got sent a... Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what I just got just Uh-oh. a minute. I heard it. Yeah. Uh, what was I saying? You, too, at some of the at-risk groups were uh, concerned vaccines we were talking about uh alex jones <laughs> jesse the body ventura that's where maybe that'll Je- bring it yeah, back jesse to. ventura what a joke he was um but he like all of us had his own opinions and sometimes opinions are right sometimes they're wrong everybody's got at least one opinion and uh anyway talking about these these vaccines it's crazy but Nobody 
in the airline industry, nobody will talk about anything negative to do with vaccines. But guess what was sent to me? Looking for commercial airline pilots, yes. preferably unvaccinated. Correct. United Airlines and American Airlines. That's what they're reaching out to get. These guys, particularly airline industry, they know health is a major factor for their pilots. And this is something that they track. They have the data on. Yeah. They know about what at what risk a particular pilot faces as a result of whatever is going on in his health, his age, his background. They know it. And they have unbelievable amount of data related to this. And if they are making that move right now, it's because they see in the data set the anomaly and they're reacting to it. Statistics that we know that yes. we have been able to document and given 13 commercial airline pilots have died from cardiac arrest in the air. 13. Mm. I'm from Louisiana. Mm. When it quacks <laughs> and waddles, it's an alligator. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Steve Baker with us in studio today. Boy, it's good to have him here. And we're going to get into a lot of things. In fact, some Oath Keeper news that came out overnight that is not good news. And, of course, that's right down yeah. Steve's alley. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more. So don't go anywhere. In fact, call somebody and tell them, hey, Steve Baker's on TNN Live right now. And get them to tune in with you. Back in two minutes. Have a seat. Hey, where's the food? What kind of meeting is this? There's no food. We just said that so you would show up. What? No food? There's someone we think you should talk to. Hey, Dan, your co-workers told me you haven't done your taxes. I just want to say, you can call a TurboTax Live CPA for help. We'll help you get your refund and get back to your life. You'd really do that for me? Yeah, Dan. It's literally my job. Thanks, guys. So there's no snacks? Nothing? I brought kale. TurboTax Live. Now with CPAs on demand. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language like French, Spanish, or Russian, but thought it would be too difficult and time-consuming? Then go to Babbel.com and try it for free. Babbel works because it's built around real life. It teaches you everyday practical conversations that you will actually use. In 15 minutes a day, you'll be on your way to speaking a new language in just a few weeks. Babbel uses a modern conversation-based technique that makes language engaging, fun, and memorable. It starts by teaching you words and phrases. Then, sentences gradually get more complex. Soon, you're practicing short conversations about real-life topics. Babbel is created by language experts who use the space repetition method to help you learn quickly and remember what you learned. With Babbel, you can speak a new language. Babbel, language for life. Celebrating 10 million subscriptions sold. Now try Babbel for free at Babbel.com. Just go to Babbel.com and start learning a new language today. That's Babbel.com. B-A-B-B-E-L.com. Could switching to GEICO really save you 15% or more on car insurance? Did the little piggy cry wee, wee, wee all the way home? Yeah? You're home. Oh, cool. Thanks, Mrs. A. You're 
Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Uncertain about what you see and hear in mainstream media? Worried about getting the truth? No worries anymore. Get the truth, only the truth, at TNN, the Truth News Network, truthnewsnet.org. Thank you, Pete. Dan Newman in studio with Steve Baker today. Tuesday, he's always with us, but usually he's with us over the telephone. He happens to be here the second week in a row. And I think maybe you came back because you got cinnamon rolls last time. Oh, I did. And you got cinnamon roll singular. Yeah. Right. This time. I'm singular. <laughs> she made sure you got one out of the pan. I'm, I'm being programmed. <laughs> uh, he'll probably swing by here. His mother's here in town, but he'll probably swing by Shreveport a little long, uh, more often than he has because of uh, horsey mom. But then... Cinnamon rolls from Marianne. That's right. The addiction. Yeah. What do you think about the House Minority Leader, Hakeem Jeffries, Democrat from New York? <laughs> what do I think about yeah, him? What do you think about him? Dan, do I even need to a- answer that question? There, there, it's impossible that you wouldn't already know what I think about him. I've got, it, a, pretty, I, I would, I've got a pretty good idea. I, I, would, I would go so far as to say that your entire audience probably has a good idea about what I think about <laughs> Because it. they probably think the right, same right. thing we it, think it, about exactly. it. Exactly. I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about, and I'm, I, don't, I, I don't say this with any hyperbole or exaggeration whatsoever. The leadership of that party, they lead today what is absolutely nothing more than a socialist death cult. That's what they are. Every single policy, every single idea, everything that they, they hold fast, that they, they, they think is the most important thing that the American people should be clinging to, ultimately leads to death and destruction. Well, he is the, the minority leader. Um, I have no idea why that happened other than for the purposes you just shared Mm. because he is literally an empty suit. Why they would put him up there, I don't know. You know, the election deniers, you know, they're they're putting people in that category only if you're a conservative. He's an election denier in the first order. Why do you think empty suits are becoming the norm in Democratic leadership? I mean, come on. President Biden's brain dead. <laughs> Kamala Harris is, is if ever there was an empty suit to occupy the vice president's seat, there is Kamala Harris as the poster child. But it's beginning to happen more and more and more at those key strategic points that they don't seem to have the ability to think for themselves. No discernment, none whatsoever. And why is why is that, Dan? Uh, they've got to be part of a plan, a process. They've swallowed the Kool-Aid. It's I because, don't know. It's because they're not in control. Yeah. You need weak personalities to be able to be controlled, to be directed, to implement the plan by those that are pulling those puppet strings. I'm going to let you listen to something from yesterday, Kamala Harris. Now, folks, turn your volume up. I want you to hear this. This is 
our vice president, speaking to a bunch of people. America is a promise. It is a promise of freedom and liberty. Not for some, but for all. A promise we made in the Declaration of Independence that we are each endowed with the right to liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Boy, that sounds good, doesn't it? She left out a couple of key points. Yeah, yeah. Uh, There are a few that are left out, and we're not going to tell you. We're going to let you listen to it one more time, and then you tell us what she left out. America is a promise. It is a promise of freedom and liberty. Not for some, but for all. A promise we made in the Declaration of Independence that we are each endowed with the right to liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Okay, I give up. What did she leave out? Uh, Number one, endowed by life, our creator. Yeah, right. (laughs) And then she left out life and she almost hesitated. If you notice, if you, if you go back, I think it was spirit. If you listen to that point, just before she's liberty, it's like a hesitation. And she said to herself in her mind, if I say life, Oops, then all of the pro-life people are going to come after me on Twitter the second I had. And, of course, we did anyway. We went after her for leaving it out. Well, that's a no-win, no-lose. She just can't win. It's going to lose whichever way she goes. If she leaves it out like she did, everybody that is pro-life is all over. And if she had said it, the pro-abortion people would be all over. But But what did I intrude? intro this entire segment with when I answered your question earlier earlier I said they are a death cult and she left life out of that line that Thomas Jefferson wrote in the Declaration of Independence what's the first thing when any country in existence that may be free maybe not a capitalist country but a just a free country, when it's going to make a major change, what's the first thing they've got to attack? The first? Very first thing. If it's going to work and you want it to be effective, what's the first step you got to take? And this isn't a test. Okay, this isn't a test. I mean, I I think I could answer this in, in multiple ways. Uh, the, the first thing that you have to do is you have to disarm your people. But that has to be done, and we've seen that repeat in history over and over and over again. The second thing that you have to do is you have to scare them to death, and you do that with your shock troops. I mean, Lenin, he conquered. The Bolsheviks conquered a country the size of 11 time zones. The contiguous United States is only four. Russia, 11 time zones, and he did that with only 25,000 people because they did it with shock and terror overnight. 
So those may not be the answers you were looking for, but it's the first thing that my mind went to. That is the ultimate thing that comes from this. But you've got to destroy the trust of the people in the rule of law. You've got to take it away. Yeah. Uh, that means law enforcement. Now, just think what happened over the last three elections, uh, 20, 22, even 2016. People began to pop up at the local prosecutor level hardcore leftists that were put in place by millions of dollars given to campaigns Mm -hmm. by George Soros. George Soros knows to destroy the infrastructure of a government, the trust of the people have to be taken away from the existing government. And the best way to do it is to destroy the rule of law, the easiest way to do that is from the inside where laws in a nation are not being prosecuted. Wrongdoers are not being prosecuted for breaking the laws. We see it now. I mean, it's in our faces in Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Chicago, New York City are the prominent places. And Atlanta. Atlanta, Georgia, the same way. Do you know right here in your own city, Shreveport, Louisiana, Do you know that the district attorney here got a $200,000 campaign donation from George Soros? Little old Shreveport. Little old Shreveport. That is rife with armed offenses that are happening like never before. Every day. And people are not being held accountable. You got to do away with the law, the trust in the government. Um, those um, 12 illegal immigrants in New York, mm-hmm. they stole over a million dollars in jewelry. They were caught. They were let go with no bail. Catch and release. That's the nation in which we live. By it- contrast, though, <laughs> if you are standing up for foundational principles and you do it in the wrong place at the wrong time, they'll put you away without opportunity for bail and make you suffer in the D.C. gulag for two years. So, where the heck are we headed? Do you think that we have caught this, true conservatives have caught this in time to salvage it, to keep the ship from sinking? I think we're more awake as opposed to woke than we ever have been before. Is it too late? I think our our institutions are so entrenched and infected by that death cult that I I worry, Dan. I I don't know if we can um, purge the institutions soon enough uh, before this next generation of voters... um, Deal, deal us the death blow. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I've never been more pessimistic than I am today. And a lot of it has to do with what's happened in the last three years. My optimism and what remains of it is that it could shock us into a reaction away from that. I, I, I was talking to uh, an attorney in Alexandria uh, just yesterday 
and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that as, as the show goes on. But he was, uh, he's a close friend, uh, grew up, I actually met in college at LSU, the current mayor of Shreveport, uh, which is Arsenault. Am I, did I get that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, they, they met first year of college down at LSU and they've been close friends ever since. And he was telling me because I, I, I just, I was blown away to know, to learn, you know, being, being that I haven't lived in Shreveport in 30, over 30 years now that a Republican could even be elected a mayor of Shreveport. But more, more shockingly is that the democratic former mayors endorsed him. Well, see, that's an upside. That's part of my remaining optimism is because this city has gotten so corrupt it has become so violent. It has become so dark with the 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 uh, um, the problems that you were alluding to a moment ago that even Democratic former mayors are being shocked into reality that something else has to happen. L- let's just go ahead and give it to the other side, and maybe they can fix it. I mean, that's a pretty amazing thing. What happened here? It is. It is, and it's happening across the nation. Um, another example of it, 118 Catholic churches since the Supreme Court Dobbs leak happened, 118 attacks have destroyed totally or partially Catholic churches Mm. around the U.S. Nobody's covering that. Right. Nobody's bringing it up. You don't even hear it on Fox News. That story is out there. And it's pretty important to know that that's happening. Not just that it's a Catholic church, but it's attack on the freedom of religion. But if it was one abortion clinic, we'd hear it about uh, the next two weeks for 24 hours nonstop on a half a dozen cable news networks. Well, the George Floyd incident that happened in Minneapolis, Black Lives Matter came in. They pretty much, they hooked up with Antifa and they just burned down half of the city of downtown Minneapolis. We didn't hear anything about that. Oh, they were people. They were rioters. Yeah. But there was no concerted effort. It wasn't Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter, they said, yeah, we did it because we're going to destroy the police mm-hmm. and confidence that people have in the, the police. This thing in Atlanta. I mean, it's a training center. Right. And Antifa shows up. Black Lives Matter's there. And they're just destroying something that identifies law enforcement. Well, that you you know all those those guys in black and carrying the black umbrellas. Yeah, that, you know you do know Dan. That's just a myth. It's just yeah. an idea. Yeah, they don't really exist. Yeah, Antifa, uh, former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. It's not a formal organization. Yeah. They don't have an office. They don't have a phone number you can call. Well, yeah, they do. <laughs> They're just not in brick-and-mortar housing. Um, It's amazing how the leadership is turning so quickly in the United States. I want to know if the FBI have embedded confidential human sources in Antifa. You know they have. Well, you would think you would hope but does the federal government waste time on that which is a myth i mean the president said so he said it's just an idea i personally think they were embedded in the january 6th stuff 
I think it happened partially to get more information, but partially to just meet them and get to know them just in <laughs> case you need them down the road. <laughs> I guess that's a conspiracy. Well, I mean, and let's let's call it call it what it is. Uh, I believe that Antifa is the paramilitary arm of the Democratic Party right I now. I do too. That's exactly too. what they are. Well, we're going to get in our second hour. We're going to get into the latest stuff coming from up in the Potomac River Valley up there. But I want to talk just for a few moments about you know it keeps coming up over and over new southern border. What's going on down at the southern border? They're bragging about, they being the Biden administration, that they've arrested dozens of people that are on the terrorist watch list in the last 90 days. They're bragging about that. Right. So my question, when I the first time I heard that was, well, how many others got through and where are those turkeys? Have you seen the stats on the increase in the number of those being arrested that are on the terror watch list. No, I haven't. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm going to not get this perfectly accurate, but I can round the numbers up. Do that. Basically, in the last 10 years, up to about 2021, say January 20-ish, somewhere in there, just to, just to pick a date, the average number per year arrests at our southern border of individuals on the international terror watch list with single-digit numbers. Suddenly in 21, that jumped to about 35-ish, something like that in 21. So it was a 10-time increase. Suddenly in 2022, that number for the entire year jumped to about 95. All right? So suddenly, in a two-year period, we went from single digits. Now, one of two things is happening, Dan. Either our Border Patrol and the agents that work down there suddenly got really good at identifying people crossing the border on the terror watch list, or there are just a lot more of those guys attempting to come across. But then, we're not even out of January yet. This is January of 2023. What is the, I don't even know what the date is anymore. What is today? Today is the 24th. So the 24th of January, as of yesterday, they had already captured 30. Remember I said they captured 95 last year. Right. The entire, they've already captured 35 as of yesterday, the 23rd of January, that are known to be on the international terror watch list. This is in less than one month. So just extrapolate those numbers out, and that's going to tell you who is attempting to cross the border. And then, obviously, we have to ask, why suddenly now? Well, and then that also brings up the thought, we're talking about terrorists. Terrorists. Right. Yeah. Most terrorists are not going to walk in at a port of entry no. and raise their hand and say, here I am, I want to come into the United States, because they'll be you know, research, background, yada, yada, yada. Most terrorists are going to, they're going to come in across the Rio Grande Valley somewhere. Uh, so how many gotaways that we know are in the thousands, hundreds of thousands, how many gotaways yeah. and were terrorists? And, and let's, let's be honest, if they are trained terrorists, they're, 
not as easily detectable. And they're not coming over here to no. go to the Grand Canyon on a right. tour either. That's exactly right. What are they up to? I think, now I may be an old timer here, but I think our president and everybody in his administration that swore, took an oath of office, fundamentally they committed to protect and defend, to honor the Constitution, and to uphold the rule of law. Alejandro Mayorkas, Homeland Security, head, secretary of the cabinet, um, he's not for enforcing the rule of law, the immigration laws. No. Hardly anybody at that level in the Biden administration, including the president, is for enforcing those laws. How can that stand? Every one of them, the ones that can be fired, which would be Mayorkas, if the president, who has the only authority to get rid of a secretary position, somebody holding it in the cabinet, other than that, they must be impeached. The president, of course, um, I think what he's doing in that regard at our southern border allowing to happen is criminal by law, by definition. It is a felony for somebody to assist another to come into the United States illegally, which what you're seeing happen now, you mentioned the numbers that through the 21st of January of just the terrorists mm-hmm. that are coming through, the door is being opened by heavyweights in the Biden administration, including the president. It's going to be interesting to see what Kevin McCarthy and uh, the Republicans are going to do in that regard. Impeachment, I hate the process fundamentally because it takes too long and it's all political. In this case, there is great justification to impeach Mayorkas and the president. I'm just saying. I don't know if there's any there there, if there could be anything that came out good on the other end of that, other than to further divide the nation and just stir up another hornet's nest like we need another one. They don't think they're going to be pushed out of where they are. Biden doesn't think that. Mayorkas doesn't think that. And there are others Hmm. that are in the same boat. Why? They're doing what they're doing with impunity and not being held accountable. And everybody knows they don't even try to hide it now. It's to create a permanent Democrat far-left majority in the voting base in America so that they can forever control our government. That's what it's all about. That is what it's all about. Well, other stuff going on. We want to talk about it. We are going to talk about some of the January 6th stuff coming up in just a few minutes. But we also, before that hour is over, we need to talk about Biden's DocuGate. (laughs) All that's ahead. Steve Baker with us. We'll be back after this. From Krakow to Grand Island, Milan to Hanoi, this is TNN, the Truth News Network. 
A divorce lawyer should be more than just a lawyer. Divorce is like no other experience, especially for guys. At Cordell and Cordell, our clients want a partner standing next to them, someone they can trust, someone who understands where they are and how to get them out. We are the attorneys of Cordell and Cordell. We are advisors and advocates for men before, during, and after divorce. We are Cordell and Cordell, a partner men can count on. To schedule your appointment, give us a call or visit us online at CordellCordell.com. Dunkin' is putting a whole new spin on pumpkin at Dunkin' with our new pumpkin cream cold brew. Smooth, bold, cold brew topped with velvety pumpkin cream cold foam made with cinnamon and nutmeg spices. And there's more pumpkin for you to love, like the delicious fall classic, our pumpkin spice signature latte. Rich espresso topped with whipped cream, caramel drizzle, and cinnamon sugar. That's how we pumpkin at Dunkin'. Sip into the fall season with the new pumpkin cream cold brew or pumpkin spice signature latte. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. Are you sure we should be out here? It's pretty cloudy. Come on, that'll pass. Really? I don't know. Yeah, That's just, just swing. I'm holding swing. a... Swing! <sighs> Bob? Whoa. Looks like someone could have used Yahoo OneSearch on his mobile phone. Try Yahoo OneSearch and get news, sports, even weather. Get better results. Text weather and your zip code to 92466. Be a better golfer. Yahoo! Standard carrier text messaging rates apply. You know, listening to that song intro there, that was Seals and Croft. Do you remember them? Diamond Girls. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Where are they? Oh, uh, Seals, Dan, uh, he just died. Um, and it's not Dan Seals. Dan Seals was uh, in England, Dan and John Ford Coley. Remember those guys? They were yeah. cousins. Yeah. Um, and, but one, I think it was uh, Seals just died last year. Dash Crofts. That, that was, was his one. name, yeah. Dash okay. Dash was his name. Uh, you know, it, it's it's almost like David Gates and Brad. David yeah, Gates, yeah. he uh, he got mad. They broke the he broke the group up. He had all the he wrote all the songs, had them copyrighted, and so he just went back home to uh, Oklahoma. I think he actually owns the the filling station, gas station that he left to become a star in the music world. I think he owns that now. It's amazing a lot of people like that that are just phenomenal in a in a particular uh, thing that they are experts at. They get caught up in all of that, yeah, and uh, they just lose their way. You know, you're into mu- you're a musician. I'm a musician. Uh, I find a musician that I like, and I want them to stay at the level they're at and even get better through the years. Oh, but sure, they don't last. Not many of them do. There's a few out there that seem to be timeless and hang on and ageless. Yeah. Uh, and they, they continue to produce, but um, not many. Well, you know what? We're getting older. <laughs> um, and things change the older we get. As a matter of fact, the older I get, looking back, I realize how smart my mom and dad were. And I sure didn't think so when you know I was in the house growing up as a teenager. Um our kids are the same way. Our kids aren't kids anymore. Our youngest is Caleb is, let's see, 40. He, what, 
he's 40, almost 46 years old. No, oh, that's impossible. No, he was born in 80. He's oh. the baby. <laughs> so he's 42 years old, our yeah. baby. Our oldest daughter's almost 50. Right. That seems impossible. Yeah. And so that makes me old. <laughs> now, what about you? My youngest is 24 and my oldest is 27. So you waited a little longer than we did. I was 35 before I had my first kid. We were 22. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, We started early, and there's a lot of good things that have come out of that. We got to wrap up all of the stuff that happens, the school stuff, a whole lot earlier than most of our friends. And because of that, we got to do a lot of things that we've been able to do as just a couple. Um, Our show producer laying here... uh, (laughs) Many of you, you know who Olivia is. She's our uh, pocket uh, Yorkshire Terrier, and she literally demands. Mm. Every time you hear this show, she is laying on the console making sure that Dad gets it right. We build now our travel plans around Olivia. Of course. She's got to either go with us or somebody here in the family's got to take care of her. Because, I mean, and I do the show on the road all the time. Going to Israel, I'll be doing it uh, the third week of next month through the first week of March. And I'll be doing the show live from Israel, from Bethlehem. And when I'm in Bethlehem, knock on wood, I'm going to interview Prime Minister Netanyahu, unless between now and then his schedule changes. He, He spends a lot of time in other parts of Israel. So uh, got my fingers crossed for that. We change as we get older. What big things in your life? And just give me a few, and then I want to launch into the January 6th stuff. But what what are the biggest things that you have seen change in your life over the last ten to fifteen years? Uh, in just the last ten to fifteen? Yeah. Oh gosh, uh, Dan. I, I mean, I. I, I I could start by saying in the last three years, I have had to, at this age that we were talking about, I've reinvented myself. And this is not the first time I've gone through a personal reinvention. I'm sure you've done that yourself before as well. But I, I had no intention of doing what I am doing right now. I have loved for 25 years as a hobby, writing commenting, doing analysis of the news. And as I always say, I always used to just enjoy writing about the stupid stuff that other people do. The last three years, I'm doing the stupid stuff. (laughs) And and then writing about what I'm doing. So that's a reinvention in and of itself. Um, I, 20 years ago, I decided, a little over 20 years ago, I decided to actually start playing music again. I had been in the music business for a number of years before that. And I was missing that part of my life. In fact, I was dreaming about it. I would would wake up. They weren't nightmares, but they were guilt dreams. I would wake up in the morning and, and I would be guilty for not playing trumpet, having spent so much of my life dedicated to the discipline of that ridiculous piece of metal and then abandoning it, abandoning it for completely for over 10 years. So I reinvented myself again. And I actually, at, at 40 years old, I was taking lessons. I was, I was flying from Raleigh, North Carolina to Dallas 
to a guy that specialized in what is ca- called comeback players. And in the brass yeah, instrument yeah. world, that's a whole, that's a thing. Yeah. And he specialized in helping people that come back from disease and injury or whatever. And so I was flying to Dallas for private lessons. I mean, those are expensive lessons when you consider it's an airfare, hotel room, rental car. And then I still had to pay the guy on top of that. Uh, but that's how committed to the reinvention once again of myself I was at that point. But in the last 10 to 15 years, what I have seen more than anything is if we're talking about in the culture is the, the hyper accelerated dive to the leftist agenda and the victories that they're winning and never seen it move that fast in my life. I think it's because it's never moved that fast in a while. <laughs> well, that's probably and I think, the fact. I think the fuel on the fire has got to be the fact that the mainstream media are so widespread in numbers, the outlets. I mean, think about it. You got three broadcast, I mean, FCC broadcast networks, ABC, CBS, NBC. They've always been there. And as far as we know, they may have been as far left always as they are now because we didn't have anybody out there to compare them to. We had Cronkite. We had Reynolds. And they pretty much told us the same stories, the big news stories, and they just changed or tweaked their news broadcast. But they never got in. We think they never got into, maybe they did, the opinion piece. But if they did... They pretty much all agreed. Yeah. Now we have cable news. Uh, this show, yeah. I, I won't even say live here how many people are listening in, but this is our biggest show, most listened to show ever. And we're just a little podcast that's produced in northern Louisiana. Now, it's beamed to 92 countries live, right. and all of the podcast sites picked the show up. I don't know how many, and that number will be on top of what we're talking about that are listening live, hundreds of thousands of people are looking for a different perspective than what they're getting from all our cable guys. We could go on and on. They're just just naming them, MSNBC, uh, CNN, all of the big leftists. Now, the podcast, the leftist podcast, as far as credibility and listeners and subscribers, they're minuscule. Yeah compared to conservatives because most conservatives they're looking for information and when they find a place where they can get good honest information not perspective but give me the facts not your opinion and let me draw my own opinion from the facts that's what our commitment is that's what your commitment is and so our numbers are growing yeah our website truthnewsnet.org the numbers are growing TNN's numbers are growing, and uh, they're going to be, as a matter of fact, I haven't even talked to you about this, but there are going to be people knocking on the door to see us do something a little bit different, maybe the next step up with TNN Live. You guys out there, you know me, you you think about that, and let me ask you to do this. Pray that we're going to do the right things going forward here at TNN Live. And the right things aren't necessarily what's bigger. Uh, We're in a really good place right now, and we don't have the Department of Justice breathing down our throats. 
we don't have a reputation for being a seditious conspirator like you do on <laughs> January 6th of 2020. You definitely are on the radar screen. I think we are still kind of flying below the radar screen. Are you watching and paying attention to the current and emerging battle between some of the big names in the uh, conservative arena right now? Absolutely. Steven, Steven Crowder going after Daily Wire, yes. revealing the contents of their deal sheet, or yeah. their offer sheet. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, um, uh, Crowder having left the, the blaze, but not really saying anything bad about them, although I, I have the inside scoop on why he left. Not why he left, but a little bit of, uh, of a, a negative taste left in his mouth from leaving there but although Crowder's not saying anything uh negative about Glenn or or any of the staff there but he's he's um pretty much he's pulled out the he's pulled out the guns on the Daily Wire and and of course I mean good lord there's there's so many guys there I respect and like as well within that but but business being business and money being money the money has gotten huge and it is affecting how and they are not only delivering the information to us, but what they can say and where they can say it in their effort to keep the pipeline of cash full and not be deplatformed from YouTube and Facebook and uh, Google. Uh, we're learning a lot right now. So if you watch conservative media on television, don't have a lot of options, but you have some options. The big one, Fox News. For the reasons you just mentioned, they seem to have moved demonstratively to the left, not on every show. You're not going to get Tucker Carlson to go to the left. You're not going to get Sean Hannity to go to the left. I'm not talking about the nighttime shows. I'm talking about the daytime shows. The weekend is consumed on Saturday and Sunday by a leftist doing the news. Yeah. Uh, she's from New Orleans. You know who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And it shocks me. I can't listen. I can't watch. If I'm in my car driving somewhere, I can't listen to Fox News on the weekend because it's so in your face left now. And those people upstairs, I mean, they know it. Anytime you hear something like that happen, and Geraldo Rivera... <laughs> He has even gone further left than he formerly was. Why right. they is he their designator leftist during the week? Um, he's got so much baggage in his past. Yeah. I don't understand having any credibility that would justify putting him at Fox News. I have no idea why he's on any network whatsoever. But I don't either. We we could begin listing all the yeah. uh, the reasons for that. But the I think it's important what's happening right now in the. Uh, we'll call it the, the, the right side of the, the media. I, I, I'm hoping, and I'll, I'm going to go out on the limb here. And I, I don't want to offend anybody, but I've, I've watched both sides of this emerging battle pretty closely. And I think young, 35-year-old, really on the edge, born and bred comedian originally, Stephen Crowder, I think he's right I think that what he's doing right now is the correct tack in revealing the relationships that the big players, and he's there now, 
Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, He's we're, on that same stage now. Well, we're talking about the guy with the biggest numbers of all of them now. As a podcaster, for heaven's yes. sakes. Yes, He, in the 20, you know, his 2020 election night coverage, he, his ratings on his podcast, the number of live streamers watching his live election coverage dwarfed the combined ratings of Fox, MSNBC, and CNN by himself. That tells you something. Even if you don't agree with him, his presentation, the way he flows, yeah. which I, I'm fine with it. I'll, I, I like his stuff. Even if you don't agree with it, you've got to look at the facts and you've got to ask yourself this question. Why? Yeah. Why so many? Is it because these are hardcore far right people that are looking for a nugget or two out there? I don't think so. Right. I agree with you. 35 seems to be the number right now. These are primarily people that were eating at the trough of leftism yeah. for a long time and it failed them. It failed them, and they're looking for a way out, but maybe not the far-right way out, maybe not what's considered to be mainstream right reporting and media. Mm -hmm. They're looking for an alternative, and I think the numbers tell you. Yeah. He's, he's representing what those people are looking for right now. That's exactly it. And so, all that being said... I told you we were going to do the second hour, the updates on what's going on in D.C., the January 6th stuff. And Steve Baker with us live in studio is going to do that for us right after this. The following is an important time-insensitive announcement from Staples. Now, for an unlimited time only, Staples is drastically cutting their everyday prices on hundreds of products your business needs. That's right. The clock is not ticking. What? Crawl or lollygag to Staples, and you will not miss this opportunity. These are everyday price cuts. Take a four-pack of AA Duracell batteries, was $4.79, now just $2.99. But act now, or later, because these Staples everyday price cuts will be around for a really, really long time. Price cuts, like a two-pack of Scotch Magic Tape, previously $4.79, now just $2.99. And Scotch Packaging Tape, now just $2.29 for today, tomorrow, and pretty much every day till the cows come home. But don't hurry. These everyday price cuts are indefinite. To repeat, these prices will last. So stop by your nearest Staples whenever it's convenient and take advantage of these normal, continuing everyday price cuts. Thank you. DesMoinesHelpWanted.com salutes the employee of the month. The one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Dave, we need to talk about your sick days. What seems to be the problem, Mr. Employee of the Month? Last week you were out all five days. I was sick. Thanks for checking in. You posted on social media that you were at a comedy club on Monday. Laughter is the best medicine. An outdoor barbecue on Tuesday. Feed a cold, starve a fever, or whichever one needs to be fed. That's the one I had. Okay, Wednesday you took a selfie, hashtag faking sick. That was supposed to say freaking sick. Thursday you were at an amusement Park. Somebody stole my phone. They stole your phone and uploaded photos of you at an amusement park. Yes, fake news. Friday, you tailgated in the employee parking lot. Friday's basically the weekend. Everyone knows that. If you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the huge national job boards. That's probably what you'll get. But if you want more employees of the month, go where local job seekers find good local jobs. We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by this ad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. 
Hi, Tom Bodette. Of all the things invented in 1962, some have faded away, like cassette tapes, and others are still very much with us, like lava lamps and Motel 6. Yep, Motel 6 is celebrating 50 years of giving travelers a good night's rest and saving you more for what you travel for. But we're just getting started. In fact, the longer you watch us, the better we get. Kind of like a lava lamp. Trippy. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6. 50 years and the light's still on. Undeniably the go-to source for nonpartisan, spin-free news from the world. TNN, the Truth News Network, puts it all together for you every day at truthnewsnet.org. Dan Newman here in studio with Steve Baker, our very own investigative journalist. You belong to us. You're, you're family now. I guess you know that. I'll uh, I'll look for the check in my pay- my mailbox. <laughs> it's on the way. Oh, is it? It's on the way. I sent it months ago. Yeah. It's in the mail. <laughs> well, overnight, got some news coming out of the January sixth debacle, and it really shocked me. The details really shocked me. Oath keepers convicted of seditious, seditious. What is it? Seditious conspiracy. Conspiracy. Explain that. Who who were the ones that got uh, convicted of this? That? This time, this was the second Oath Keepers trial. Oath yeah. Keeper three begins in a, another couple of weeks. There'll be a third one. They've had to split this into three different trials because of the size of the courtrooms, even in D.C., are limited. And they otherwise they would have done them all at one time. In fact, one at one point, Judge Maida had even joked that they would rent a, a room at the convention center and just do it all at once. Well, c- considering what the outcome is, they might as well have done that. They might as well, and they should have had circus entertainers, and trapeze artists, uh, you know, lions and tigers and selling you know, popcorn so everybody could watch it live. That's exactly what they should have done because that's exactly what this is. It is a circus show trial. It's a kangaroo court. Uh, it's it is the Soviet People's Court, is what it is. But this time they got all four of the defendants in trial number two a convicted of seditious conspiracy. Whereas in the first trial that I attended every day for nine weeks, only two of the five actually got the big the big conviction, the big guilty verdict on seditious conspiracy. And so the uh, the reality is is that the outcome of the verdicts yesterday were not unexpected by any means because as I I mentioned it earlier, I had lunch yesterday with an attorney from Alexandria, Louisiana, Ed Tarpley. And Ed is Stuart Rhodes, the founder of the Oath Keeper. Uh, He is his personal attorney. He was the lead attorney in that trial. And Ed and I, both having the Louisiana connection, we developed a relationship and and now I would say a pretty good friendship as a result of that time together. And he told me flat out yesterday, when you're dealing with in the prosecution, not allowing change of venues, the judges not allowing change of venue, the DOJ absolutely rejecting every motion that they can for change of venue out of D.C., as a result of that, and this is exactly what he said, he said those prosecutors are just shooting fish in a barrel there right now. Because it's the conviction is a fait accompli. It's all set up. It's all set up. Yeah. There, there, there's not going to be. We've only had one single acquittal of all of the trials thus far, and that was in a bench trial. 
And it was just one guy that had the basic, you know, what I call the glorified trespassing charge. And the judge says that he felt like that this individual reasonably, reasonably believed that he was not entering a restricted space. And that's it. Now, there's been some of these people that have had six, seven, eight charges, and they may have been acquitted of a couple of the lesser charges or maybe a couple of the more serious, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. But but there's not been a single person that has walked yet except for the one. And so nobody uh, expected anything less than what happened yesterday. I got a call before my lunch yesterday. I got a call from uh, Brad Geyer. Now, he was the attorney uh, that was in also in the first trial. He uh, was representing Ken Harrelson in the first trial. And Ken did not get convicted of seditious conspiracy, although he got convicted by three, three of the other dozen charges. And he was representing over the last three weeks this uh, Richard uh, Bigo Barnett. Now, he's the guy that infamously put his foot up on Nancy Pelosi's desk. And and, it, and, and it's was, and it's not Nancy's desk. It's you know, a it's desk in, it's her in her office, her office but right. they of course it just right, sounds right. better. Yeah. And so and so he was in there and you know he was writing a note to Nancy and you know not not a not a uh, note we can uh, say the words on your broadcast. But anyway, the point being is is that the guy did no violence. He didn't break anything. Yeah. He did walk in. It was a restricted area. He should have been slapped with the, you know, the um, the glorified trespassing charge. Let's just give him that. But instead, he faced uh, a half a dozen or eight other charges in his trial, of felonies included. And they made an example of him yesterday. And his jury got... They, ha- they were handed the case yesterday morning, 9.30, first day of deliberation. And Brad Geyer called me just before 11 o'clock Eastern time. Hour and a half. Yeah, and he said, this jury, now, so it's already, by the time he calls me, the verdict's already been read. So this is, so this is, they had to, so they go in at 9.30, they right. get their, they get their court-issued coffee and danishes. <laughs> Less than an hour later, all of the attorneys' phones are going off. The verdict's in. So they all have to, they get, you know, 15, 30 minutes, whatever, to reassemble in the courtroom. Yeah. They bring the jury in. They start reading through the verdicts. And less than an hour. He, that's, and that's what exactly what Geyer told me was they didn't even have time to finish their Danish. They didn't even bother to look at the evidence. And this particular legal team put on a defense for, you know, this trial for one guy lasted about three weeks. I mean, they went to the mat for this guy because, Dan, these individuals, even if they did something wrong, okay, well, let's, let's, let's say that he, in fact, is guilty of trespassing and, and, and in fact, guilty of, they, well, they accused him of theft of government property. He took an envelope off of Pelosi's desk with the speaker's, you know, <laughs> yeah. address. Oh, on yeah, it. yeah. But he left her a quarter. <laughs> he, plop, he, he, he plopped a quarter down on the desk for the envelope. So he's charged with theft. He's charged with a felony, stealing government property. Yeah. And convicted thereof. Okay. For an 
envelope. And, and I'm not trying to belittle, and, and I'm not trying to underplay the seriousness of some of the crimes that took place that day because there are some horrific events that took place that day. Let me let me stop you there. This is the thing that people, a lot of people don't understand, especially those on the left. This was not a situation where the Capitol was heavily guarded and, you know, people went up there and they had people standing there with guns making sure nobody entered the Capitol. What we're talking about, the trial, the Oath Keepers trial yesterday and the previous ones and the ones that are ahead, most of them wouldn't have happened if there was a real armed presence when you first got down there and others got down there because perception is reality. There were a lot of people. In fact, we saw two of the Capitol policemen take a barrier and move it away and encourage the people to come on in. How much of that happened and how many Americans saw that and considered that to be, it's okay. And some of those people are going to jail or going to be serving serious time behind bars in a federal prison. And many of them, there are some of them that knew what was going on and was purposeful at what they did. But a lot of people didn't. I've talked, a pastor friend from North Dallas, a good friend of mine, he and his wife were there. Now, they didn't go in, but they were there, and it so shocked him. And he's a guy that's he speaks around the world. He is one of those guys that he's got a real good idea of things in Washington, D.C. and how the flow goes. I can't even get him to talk to us on the air. He's so intimidated by what he's seeing. And so let me just ask you this. All these people that are getting these um, minor charges against them, a lot of the heavy stuff is being dropped. What is the government trying to do with this, in your opinion? It's part of a narrative. I mean, Nancy Pelosi announced uh, in the formation of her January 6th Select Committee that the intent, and I'm I'm going to quote her, this is not paraphrased. This is what she said. She said, our purpose is to establish and preserve the narrative of January 6th. To establish, that word means something, Dan. Yeah, it does. It means create something and make that be the historical narrative exactly and then preserve that narrative yeah and that was the purpose of that committee but that's the purpose of the entire department of justice um actions and activities throughout this in this process i i sat there in that lunch yesterday with with attorney ed tarpley stuart rhodes attorney and he said look he's he he talks to stuart almost every day uh, obviously, he's still representing him. He's got to see him through the conviction um, or the the uh, sentencing process, which takes place uh, sometime mid-May, probably. And and then he hopes to stay on through the appellate process, through the appeals process. He hopes to be with him because he really believes in Stuart Rhodes' case. Not that Stuart Rhodes is a flawless human being. Not that he has, doesn't have error in his life. Not that he didn't make mistakes. But the one thing that he did not do on January 6th or related to January 6th, 
is commit any of the crimes for which he was convicted. He knows, and he's sitting in that prison, knows that he's a political prisoner. And that's the point of this, because if you were in D.C. on January 6th, you didn't have to go into the building. You didn't have to be one of the, Dan, less than 300 violent perpetrators. Has anyone done the math? I think on the low end that there were 400,000 people in D.C. that day for that event. I, I think it's more. But I, I, I have heard estimates all the way up to 2 million. Yeah. I've done the math on it. I think it's between somewhere between 400 and 600,000. Nevertheless, it was a substantial crowd for a Wednesday in January, a cold Wednesday morning. And the Department of Justice themselves have only identified less than 300 people from all of the thousands of video cameras that actually participated in violence. But if you were just in that city that day, you are considered now because of the establishment and the preservation of Pelosi's narrative, you are considered an insurrectionist, an extremist, a white supremacist. Just, just, just start, you know, rattle them all off. Yeah. If you were just there that day and individuals' lives that never even went to the Capitol their lives have been wrecked by nothing more than just being in D.C. that day and the word getting out that they were there. So because of this media coverage and because of the narrative that was established, if you were just there that day, there's something wrong with you. You're an extremist. You're not worthy of existing in this country. You don't believe in our quote-unquote democracy uh, and uh and your life should be. You should lose your job. You should lose your career. You should lose your relationship with your family. You should be ostracized in your community, your neighborhood, your church, just because you either drove or got on a plane and went to D.C. that day. And a byproduct of that that I don't know that they thought would be something, a byproduct, but fear, fear of our government has been instilled in millions of people's lives when they watch what happened after the fact. And I'm like you. There's no doubt there were bad people that did bad things that day. But it wasn't 400,000. It wasn't 500,000. It wasn't 100,000. I don't know what the number is of people that went there with premeditated purpose to do something that was illegal. But we know what the number is that did it. Yeah. Yeah. We've got them on video. Yeah. Um, the installation of fear gives somebody power over someone else, mm-hmm. power that they didn't have until that fear showed up. We've seen this happen in countries in history, world history, around the globe. Think about what happened in World War II. At the beginning of World War II, there was no German disdain at the level that it ended up being for Jews. But during the war, obviously, Hitler and his minions, they had it all along, and they wanted to do something about it. But they began to instill fear in the German people. 
And so German people turned, because the government told them to, against the Jewish people. And six million, and that's a a guess number, it's probably more than that, were exterminated, allowed to happen, based on the fear of the German people, the fear of their government. And it was okay. Doing that, exterminating these people was okay. But the fear factor had to be instilled first. And we are seeing that today. You witnessed it in that courtroom. All those weeks you were sitting there, you witnessed the process of the government getting stronger, feeling stronger, being stronger in the open marketplace of ideas than they were before. And i got to be honest with you. You and I are sitting here. We laugh about having Langley, Virginia listening into the show when you're here, but both of us know there's a chance. Yeah. There's an outside chance that something will come of that, and it won't be us getting uh, the show getting uh, kicked off of any of the podcast sites it's, it's on. I started a series, and you posted, I think, part one yeah, of I did. my series. Yeah, I did. on. It's specifically talking about the actions of the Capitol Police that day. And I'm not talking about the frontline uniformed officers that were completely caught off guard with what was taking place. But I'm talking about leadership. But you have to tell the story of the frontline officers yeah, as well. Yeah, you as you to, know, yeah. we've been developing some whistleblowers within that organization. Yes. Well, since my, since my series began, I'm now being contacted by additional United States Capitol Police officers. Even this week, I w- or last week, I was, ca- uh, I was contacted directly, privately, by a current United States Capitol Police officer who wants to talk. He has some things things, quote-unquote, to add to the narrative that I've been sharing from another whistleblower. And in this series, and and I really encourage everyone to go, they can find it on the TNN website or they can find it on mine, and you said something earlier that is entirely, I I think it's the biggest story of January 6th, but the American people don't know it because it's not part of the established and preserved narrative. And that is what you mentioned, is when these tens of thousands of the hundreds of thousands began to arrive at the Capitol, there was something missing that day. And that was a uh, significant and effective police presence. They weren't there. I have it on my video, the absence of law enforcement. All the way from... All the way from the Washington Monument lawn, down the mall, to the Capitol itself, tens of thousands of people arrived. And by the time they got to the Capitol, there were no barricades. There were no restricted area signs. There were no law enforcement to be seen whatsoever until or if you went up like I did and started taking videos of the battle line itself. Yeah. By the time most of those individuals arrived, the battle line is gone because they've been issued a stand-down order, which I've heard with my own ears. It was It's restricted. It's, it's part of that 14,000 hours that yeah, we, we yeah. hear about that has not been released of the tapes. I've seen it. I've heard it. There was an actual stand-down order, pullback order. 
By the time that happened, thousands more were still arriving, and they're just going to what was permitted, legally permitted and scheduled events that were supposed to be on the Capitol on that day. By the time they got there, that was all shot to you-know-what. But when they arrived, they didn't see these barricades. They didn't see these battle lines. They just thought... Why are people walking into the Capitol? And 69-year-old grandmothers with, you know, with a Trump flag over her shoulder wanders into the Capitol and then spends two months in federal prison for that? It was a trap. It was a trap. No doubt about it. It's a setup. Yeah. And these Capitol Police, this individual, current employee, he called me third, not called me, messaged me (laughs) privately on Thursday and he said absolutely we were set up that day and that's the title of the series is that the Capitol Police were sacrificial pawns on January 6th so I encourage everybody to look that up part two by the way is set to be published tomorrow okay here on our website part one is a couple of weeks ago you can go back and get that um Steve, um, besides being a good broadcaster, Steve is a really good writer. And uh, we're in conversation about doing a, uh, a project in that regard together. We don't know if it'll develop because of our time and our commitments. But you get a lot of facts when you read Steve's stuff. And, of course, you get a lot of facts when you read our stuff here. Uh, Kelly Nelson did a story for us yesterday. I don't know if you've had a chance to read it, but it is the most read story we've ever had in just 24 hours. And uh, she talks about the same kind of thing that's happening in our government and what it's doing to the people, same kind of thing happening in the church, the American church. And it's 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 a feeling, it's a sense, it's an emotion, uh, and it's consuming and it grows and grows and grows kind of like it did in the German people, but it started somewhere by some people. It doesn't just show up. Mm. It's not just something that came out of the air and it's a combination of things. Um, I think elitism is part of it. Uh, a lust for power over other people is a big part of it. And having an open door opportunity to do something to people. And that's a nasty thing. But buddy, we saw that play out that day. People's lives, thousands of people's lives have been destroyed because of the way that happened, not what happened, but the way that happened and came together on January 6th. There are so many little things that fed into it. You just mentioned one of them. I mentioned it earlier. Why was not the Capitol protected in sufficient measure to keep from happening what happened? Well, I cover the reasons and the evidence for why that happened in the the series that I'm writing. I'm, I'm in the middle of part three right now. Part two really focuses on purposeful underdeployment of the Capitol Police that day. And under every other situation, every other major protest event that's ever in that town, the Capitol Police 
are always what's what they call all hands on deck. Sure. They have orientation. They have planning. They have meetings. They have instruction. Uh, directives are sent out uh, about all their special units because they have they have civil disturbance units. They have their long gun units. They have their um, uh, investigative units. They have their intelligence units. So they have this. You know, the Capitol Police, I believe, is like it's one of the largest police departments in the world just by itself. Yeah, it is. And so in any other day, including a holiday, July the 4th especially, they are all hands on deck, which means that even the guys working the night shift, when they get off at 7 o'clock in the morning, they're held over yeah. through yeah. the events of the day. And they all know that, and they all prep that. Sure. Know, law enforcement, and as well as frontline medical workers, they know what 24-hour shifts are like. That's just the way it works. And so on this particular day, when it was advertised <laughs> that there was going to be this massive event at the White House, the Ellipse, the Washington Monument, it wasn't just there. The United States Capitol Police themselves had issued permits. They had applied for, the applications were approved, permits for staging, sound systems, protest marches, and a quote-unquote rally on the steps were to take place that day on the Capitol property itself. And so with all of those events that they knew were going to happen, they were permitted, you would think, and it was a large commitment for a lot of people to come and do those things. You would think the Capitol Police, the whole force, like you said, everybody would be out there and everybody would be armed. Not so much to need to use the arms, but a show of you better do the right stuff right. and keep things simple and legal or you'll pay a price. That didn't happen. As a, as a matter of fact, these individuals showed up for work that morning just thinking it was another day at the office. Yeah. Lieutenant Tarek Johnson, who was the first whistleblowing Capitol Police officer that I've been speaking with, he specifically told me that when he arrived at 7 a.m., they were sending the night shift home. They had no idea. Dan, did I mention that the United States Capitol Police themselves had issued permits for protests <laughs> on the lawn? Yeah. And they did not notify their own <laughs> uh, officers that these events were going to take place. No orientation. No um, advance notice whatsoever. Just another day at the office. In the, the oath, first Oath Keepers trial, another officer, his name is uh, Ryan Salky. He's now left the force. He said and testified in the trial that when he arrived, that uh, the only thing he knew was that something was happening at the White House that day. They There was no special notification given to them whatsoever that something was taking place at the Capitol. Uh, the event planner that was hired, that has done many, many uh, events in, in Washington over the years, his name is uh, Stephen Brown from Florida. He's done events at the Capitol for as few as 5,000 people, as many as 300,000 people. He testified in the trial that that morning when the staging trucks, the PA system yeah. trucks were arriving, and he was coordinating everything, everything to be yeah. set up on the Capitol lawn, right. he said the most odd thing that struck him was that there was just a handful of officers standing around, whereas normally, and this is a quote from the trial, 
from my own notes. He said, as it usually happens for an event of only 5,000 people, we would have three, four, five times as many law enforcement here when our trucks arrive, including SWAT teams. And he said, none of that was around that morning. So folks, what it looks like, and I'm being facetious, <laughs> what it looks like is all of this was premeditated by somebody, somebody. And uh, that's something that you need to read about. And we're going to talk more about it as more and more comes out. I got a call yesterday from a friend, a good friend that's there. He's been on this show from a prison cell in uh, Central America, um, a Christian guy, and uh, he's in D.C., he's in that jail now waiting for his trial and his son. Um, and he told me that it is the buzz throughout that entire prison. They're petrified, the people that are there now waiting trial because of what's going on in the trials. They're just green lighting, convicting all these people. These mm-hmm. juries are just, as you said, an hour yeah. to debate what to do with those. It was, it, there's no way. There were too many of them. You don't go through in a jury room. You don't go through and get really serious about making sure you're right. coming up with the right kind of sentences yeah. and making somebody guilty or innocent. You don't do that in an hour unless... You've got a premeditated verdict in your head. That's what's happening in the place on the planet, Washington, D.C., the United States of America, supposed to be the freest and fairest government in world history. Now, we'll say this. It has been in the past, but it's not right now. I have it on good authority. People are asking, what's going to happen? Is anything going to happen? Uh, are investigations going to happen? Because Republicans don't hold the Senate. They can only do something in the House. I have it on good authority from inside the House Judiciary Committee that there's some really serious stuff that is about to be instigated to hold some of the perpetrators, the real perpetrators of this, to hold them accountable. Now... I'm going to tell you who the real perpetrators are, Dan. <laughs> okay. And, and I'm, I'm and I'm not answering the question in the way you, for, as a way, in the way you teed me up, in the way you set me up. Okay. The Department of Justice. There's a key word in that phrase right there. This is the Department of Justice. These guys right now have no, their conscience are seared. They have no conscience whatsoever about the destruction that they are doing to average, ordinary citizens' lives. And I'm not just talking about the Stuart Rhodes that leads an organization that the media has scared you to death with for three years called the Oath Keepers, or uh, Enrique Tarico from the Proud Boys, neither of which entered the Capitol building that day. (laughs) Uh, The Proud Boys leader wasn't even there. And he's facing seditious conspiracy. But he was there. They were all there. <laughs> yeah. Why? Because the news says they were there. Think 
they were and that they were armed and that they were oh, yeah. there for insurrection. And uh, I've, I've heard, I got in an argument with somebody in government, mm-hmm. in federal office, about the Oath Keepers. And this person had swallowed the pill oh. that, that you're talking about there. Oath Keepers were there in mass, armed to the teeth. None of it true. But this is this is what's happening, is that, and we watched it, Dan. We watched these prosecutors. This is something that Tarpley and I were talking about yesterday. We watched them with our own eyes. We were seething as it happened. And we heard it with our own ears. And we were becoming more and more angry as this was taking place because the truth was not important. The only thing that was important was another notch in their gun belt, another destroyed family, another set of destroyed lives. And then when the trial is over, and this was reported by the mainstream media, they went to the hoity-toity restaurant to celebrate, crack open the bottle of champagne, and Attorney General Merrick Garland walks in to congratulate them. Well, it hurts me to even think about Merrick Garland being in control of anything, especially something this big. But he is, and uh, it's pretty serious. On the other side of this break, our final break, we're going to wrap things up here with Steve Baker. Thank you so much for being here today. Man, two weeks in a row, I have enjoyed it. And you know the only reason I'm here is for the uh, cinnamon rolls. Thank you, Marianne. Marianne is uh, a great cook. Uh, She earned it from her mother that passed away January 1st, 97 years old. But the heritage is in the cinnamon rolls. Lives on. Yes, it will not go away. Back after this. What can milk do? Well, it can turn you into a morning person. It can help fuel some pretty tough stuff. And it can definitely make cartoons funnier. No, it can't. Oh, well, it can have a little edge. But come on, even kitties love it. It'll keep up with you at any age. It makes engines whir and creme brulee cremey. It's one of the easiest labels you'll ever read. And anything that makes this happen is pretty special. In fact, what can't milk do? I pass through the trees. I leave behind the mountains. I weave in the air. I fly over the birds. And I wish when I complete my journey, I leave behind a better world. Honda Civic Hybrid, India's first hybrid car with IV Tech engine. Leave behind a better world. Does it matter to you that all our chefs are well trained? Or that our kitchens are both SLSI and GMP certified? That we freshly bake goodies throughout the day? Well, it matters to us to know that your family will enjoy every bite. At Kiehl's, we're fresh because of what we do. But more than that, we're fresh because of you. Starbucks Via Instant is made with the same 100% Arabica beans served at Starbucks. 
So it's the only instant with the rich, delicious taste of the Starbucks coffees you love and takes only seconds to make. Starbucks Via Instant, the only instant coffee of its kind. Available in black flavored lattes and iced coffee. an appropriate sound to have in this boat going on. Sweet yeah. home Alabama. We're both Southern boys. Steve, what do you see? What is your prediction about this Holocaust that we're in right now? It's not coming. It's here. How do you see it ending? <laughs> wow. You're going to let me close the show talking about a Holocaust. Huh? I'm, no, I'm talking about <laughs> this Holocaust. Right. It may not be the Holocaust, but anyway. No, I... I think, Dan, it's only going to end because of what's happening right now on your show. And that is that people are hungry for truth, facts, the reality of what's really happening. What's really happening in their country. And and the... The, the truth of the matter is, unfortunately, we're not getting that from the big sources at all. We know we haven't been getting it from the MSM for yeah, years, yeah. but we trusted Fox for a while, and and we trusted some other sources for a while. Yeah. But but the money has gotten so big now that even Elon Musk, I mean, the biggest money of them all, has said that the future is in an independent journalism. That's where that's where the truth is going to come from. And there's a whole army of people, and and the, you know, look, we're we're older guys, but there's a there's an army of younger guys out there that are genuinely seeking the truth, and they've got their cameras, man. They've got their cell phone yeah. cameras. They've yeah. got everything, and they're 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 going to deliver it to us, and they're going to put it in front of the American people. And there there's a lot of sacrifice going on out there in order to get that done. Thank you for being here today. Our doors open anytime. Thanks, Dan. And uh, it's a long way from North Carolina, but. You come through this way a lot anytime. Make sure you let us know. We'll do it. And of course, we'll be together every Tuesday anyway. That's right. Yeah. Buddy, I'll see you soon. Thank you, folks, for being here. We'll see you tomorrow. Something in your eyes makes me want to lose myself. Makes me I wanna lose myself in your arms. There's something in your voice makes my heart beat fast. Hope this feeling lasts the rest of my life. If you knew how lonely my life has been And how low I felt for so long If you knew how I wanted someone to Feels like home to me
to me Feels like home to me Feels like I'm all the way back Where I come from Feels like home to me Feels like home to me Feels like I'm all the way back Where I belong A window breaks Down a long dark street Where? 